content note. This episode of Always and Forever contains frank discussions of self-harm and suicide. If these are triggering topics for you, please refer to the timestamps in our show notes so you can skip over that section if you choose. Thank you. Welcome to Always and Forever, a One Tree Hill podcast where two lifelong friends and superfans analyze and dissect the greatest teen show from the early 2000s. This week, we are discussing the fifth episode of season one, which is entitled All That You Can't Leave Behinds, but it's also titled Where I End and You Begin, according to Hulu and Wikipedia, which I I don't know where that discrepancy came from, but whatever, I, I don't know. I was looking at Hulu and watching the episode, and I noticed it said Where I End and You Begin. I'm like, wait a minute. That's not what we had said the episode was originally called. (laughs) And I went to my DVD sets and I'm like scrambling and looking through and I see that it says all that you can't leave behind. I'm like, okay, I wasn't losing my mind. (laughs) Yeah, like, yeah, you are right. It is on Hulu too, but also on Wikipedia. Wikipedia has it listed as an alternate title for the episode. I saw that after the fact, yeah. And I'm like, where's this information coming from, for one thing? Like, where is this news from? Could there be, like, a rights issue? Like, they couldn't name the episode that specific title on Hulu or on any streaming service? Because I I wonder if it was like that when One Tree Hill was on Netflix. I'm kind of curious now. I have no idea, but all I'm saying now is that Wikipedia is the only source where it says it's an alternate title, and I think Hulu was getting that information. As far as I'm concerned, All That You Can't Leave Behind is the title of the episode, because it's listed on the official WB merchandise, which is the which is the DVDs, so I'm just going to go with it. So, yes, Hulu is fake news. <laughs> it's just so random that, because <laughs> this doesn't happen, I checked all the other episodes in the season and that never happens. It's all consistent with the DVD sets. So, in case you were curious, I have no idea where they would have just picked this song. Yeah, but whatever. We'll, we'll just accept it. Um, otherwise, this episode features a teleplay by Jennifer Cecile and Mark Schwann, a story by Jennifer Cecile and Anne Lewis Hamilton, and it was directed by Dwayne Clark. It also aired on October 21st, 2003, which was my 13th birthday. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah, I was allowed to see PG-13 movies the same day this episode aired. And you weren't even watching the show. I was, was not even scary. watching the show at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so. Little teenage Jeremy, aww. I know. <laughs> Closeted gay teenage Jeremy who was like probably obsessed with Chad Michael Murray and couldn't even talk about it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but it's okay, 29-year-old Jeremy can talk about him as much as he wants. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> Always and Forever is spoiler-free, but if you are a longtime One Tree Hill fan or you don't care about spoilers, please stay tuned after the credits for a fully spoiled discussion. Somebody told me that this is the place where everything's better and everything's safe. The tension heats up in Tree Hill for the upcoming father-son basketball game. In typical Dan fashion, he takes the game very seriously and puts pressure on Nathan to beat him. Meanwhile, a newspaper article comes out featuring Dan and his two sons, both star basketball players. 
Wanting to distance himself from Dan, Lucas questions if he should keep the Scott name. But with help from Karen, Lucas soon realizes Keith also bears the Scott name and has been there for him since birth. In the end, Lucas decides to keep it in honor of Keith. In other news, Haley reveals to Lucas that she is tutoring Nathan. However, Lucas still believes there is more going on than just tutoring. Nathan also makes multiple attempts to earn back Peyton's trust, but she wants nothing to do with him. Finally, Peyton grapples with the seventh anniversary of her mother's death. She runs red lights on purpose and wonders why nothing happens when all it took for her mother to die was accidentally running one red light. People always leave, but I, Caitlin Illinich, am back to fulfill your podcast needs. And stay at home and watch in the office. I'm Jeremy Rodriguez. So I'm not here to fulfill your podcast needs, in other words. <laughs> <laughs> I Only ha- Caitlin is. She's the hitter. I had to use the people always leave. Like, I had to. So let's talk about um, the, the songs that this episode is titled after. Yeah, so we have All That You Can't Leave Behind by U2. That is an album. That is a U2 yes. album, uh, just to make that clear. Uh, but the lyric is found in Walk On, in the song yes. on that album. Which is an amazing song, by the way. And I feel like I've been sleeping on U2 all these years because I listen to that song. And I'm like, this song is freaking great. <laughs> yeah, it's a good song. And I, I, yeah. I think I've heard the song before. I don't remember if I have. I listened to like a bunch of other songs off that album. Like there's Beautiful Day, mm-hmm. well, Elevation. That, that's a famous one for sure. Yeah. I think it's funny that One Tree Hill is named after One Tree Hill by U2. <laughs> so, and the fact that we really haven't listened to U2 much other than select songs, we probably should explore that band more. Yeah, it's kind of ironic a little bit. But mm-hmm. anyway, I. I just love the song. It's basically like all about um, the baggage that you carry from your past and how it's affected your present day and how you should like let it go, essentially, which I feel like that's what Peyton's doing a lot of, because everything that's going on with her mother, she has to try to let go of that baggage so she can move forward with her life, essentially. So I mean, that's what I extrapolated from the song, because I believe in death of the author, because you know what this song is supposed to be about, Caitlin? No. Okay. So, this song is actually very fucking political. Really? Yeah. Political. Interesting. This song is about a politician in Burma. Her name is Aung San Suu Kyi. And basically, around the time when this song came out, she was fighting against the oppressive government of Burma. Um, she was fighting for democracy and just, like, general, like, basic freedoms. And um, because of all that, she ended up having to be on house arrest for, like, 15 years. What? Yeah, because she was basically fighting for basic human rights. So she had to leave behind her husband and her child in order to do that. Oh and my gosh. So this song is actually a tribute to her for fighting for those basic freedoms. Wow. Now that you're saying that, I'm looking at this song a lot differently. So yeah, it's about that. Fighting for your basic freedoms. And that's what she had to do. She had to go to she had to go to prison in order to fight for what was right, essentially. And um, another fun fact about this album, too, the album titled All That You Can't Leave Behind, because it was taken from that song, which is about that, apparently, if you were caught importing that album to Burma during that time, you could go to prison for between three and 20 years. Oh my gosh. 
Yes. So this album was very controversial in Burma at the time. Jeremy, you're blowing my mind right now. That That's the amazing thing about music is that you can view the, a song in so many different ways. We can easily connect the song to the episode and yeah. Pey- Peyton's grief, specifically the lines I was looking at. And I know it aches how your heart it breaks and you can only take so much. You can see how Peyton is struggling and it's heartbreaking. Yeah, so definitely. It can easily connect, but now you bring this whole deeper significance to it. Right. Yeah, it's so funny. Like, I listened to the song not knowing anything. And then I was, you know, I always try to listen to the song and try to, like, you know, connect it to the episode first. And I'm, like, listen to it. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is definitely connected to it. And then, like, when I looked into the history behind it, it just blew me away. I was like, wow, this song can mean so much to so many different people right now. And this song could really apply to today as well. Definitely. Just that repetition of walk on, walk on Mm -hmm. throughout the whole song. It's so good. And um, I also took the liberty of listening to the whole album as well. And as far as it um, connects to the episode, it's it's basically the entire album is a message of hope or support for someone you love. It's basically about how you have to keep fighting. And I feel like that's what not just Peyton, but a lot of the characters are doing. Yeah, now I'm looking at the stanza. You could have flown away a singing bird in an open cage who will only fly, only fly for freedom. Wow. Now I'm, <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so cool. Thanks for bringing that to the discussion because I, so I didn't so, go in that deep. So, Unsan Suu Chi, I stand. She is now the state counselor for Myanmar, by the way. So she's like going up in the world. I'm just saying. Wow, that's awesome. Yes. Okay. But you listen to the... Radio song, the radio alternate head. title. Radio what did I say? You said radio song. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to keep that in. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, so the song is Where I End and You Begin by Radiohead. I wasn't a fan of the song at all. Sorry, Radiohead. But I, I don't know. I felt like the lyrics were kind of strange to me. But the beginning portion says there's a gap in between, there's a gap where we meet, where I end and you begin. And I think that relates to the characters, specifically Dan, Nathan, and Lucas. They're all connected, but they don't really know like where one ends, where one begins. There's like this disconnect between them. They don't really know, like Nathan and Lucas, they're brothers, but they have nothing in common at all. Yeah. They're ultimately family, but don't have much a connection, much of a connection. So I find that kind of interesting. Yeah, they just have the blood connection at the end of the day. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of that can be applied too with um, Lucas's last name, which he attempts to change in this episode too. I think it's like sort of an inverse. Like, where do I begin and where does Dan ends? Yeah. Where do I begin apart from the Scott name? And I feel like he ends up realizing that like, I am a reflection of Keith. I'm not a reflection yeah. of Dan. I'm not a reflection of the Scott name. Originally, he thinks that he doesn't fit in with that name because he has no connection with his father, but then makes that revelation that Keith's been there for him, just like a father mm-hmm. would be. And it's a blood relative also. <laughs> Keith's a blood yeah. relative. It's his uncle. So it's even a deeper connection if, if this was just like a family friend. It's even more deep now. I also like how Lucas 
he asked Keith to participate in the father-son game. That was so cute. And I feel like that's so significant to this episode. It complements the fact that Lucas is questioning his identity, and he makes that realization that Keith is like a father. And now he's going Mm -hmm. to play in the game. It was really sweet, and I like how all of that connected so nicely in the episode. Yeah, and then at the, at the very end, I love how he's like, I was proud to have you as my dad tonight. And I was like, all oh, the feels. Yeah, it's really sweet. I, I just loved it. And um, I love, too, how like how non-toxic Keith is in general. Not just to Lucas, but even to Nathan, who he's not very close to. He even says, like, hey, you're doing fine. After Dan essentially rails on him. Um... Nathan's a little bit, like, he's a little bit despondent, I guess you could say. And Keith is just, he taps him on the shoulder, he says, hey, you're doing fine. And, oh, I just love Keith. He really is the best. And I also like that Karen, she helped point Lucas in the right direction Mm -hmm. with that realization. Yeah, because we get a little bit of history, too. We find out that Dan wasn't there for Lucas's birth, but Keith was. And that's what made Karen proudly say that Lucas's last name is Scott. It was just so beautiful. And it's it's a good point, you know? And that really says a lot about Keith. Mm-hmm. Because Keith is definitely a reflection of who Lucas has grown up to be. And look how close he is still to Keith to this day. Keith is there from day one. Yes. The newspaper article, I think, also brought brought more tension between Lucas, Nathan, and Dan. And I think that highlighted even more how Lucas is an outsider to that family. And Dan made it very clear in this episode that Lucas is not welcome. I really, I cringe at everything that Dan says to Lucas. Yeah. Absolutely cringe. It's so mean and hateful. Could you imagine saying that to anybody? Like, you're not worthy of the Scott name. What? How malicious. It really is. And how How can he treat Lucas like that? What did Lucas ever do to deserve that? Yeah. Dan, Dan is clearly, he feels guilt for abandoning Lucas. And I love how Whitey also called him out in this episode. That was, that was great. Also, when Dan says that to Lucas, he says, you don't deserve the Scott name. It's in Keith's auto shop. Is that the first actual conversation Lucas and Dan have had? Because I feel like this is the first scene where Lucas actually talks to Dan directly. And that's what he says. That article's a lie. You're not my father and you never were. Yeah, I feel like, well, Dan has definitely been to the dealership and spoken kind of at Lucas. I think that was in the pilot. Yeah, they, yeah, they've definitely been in the same scene together. I mean, we saw the scene where um where Dan gives um Nathan's stuff to Lucas, but Lucas doesn't say anything back. Yeah. I feel like this is the first episode where Lucas actually says something back to Dan. He stands up for himself. Yeah, both literally and metaphorically, I feel like, throughout the entire episode. This is the first time he actually does it. Also, I gotta say, I watched this episode on Hulu, and I gotta say, I zoomed in on the newspaper article, and I gotta say, it is terribly written. (laughs) Seriously, okay, let me tell you about one of my hobbies. You zoomed in? (laughs) I did. Let me tell you about one of my hobbies, listeners. (laughs) This is funny. Whenever there is a newspaper article, a magazine article, or anything written in a show, I always like to pause it and read the article. (laughs) I'm not even kidding, <laughs> because... You could actually zoom in enough? 
You can't. Re- I mean, you can't really zoom in. I can tell you this: on the DVDs, the DVD is sort of like um, it's sort of grainy, so you can't really read it. On Hulu, Hulu is high def, so you can read it fully. Everything that's on the screen, I should say, some of it's cropped out. And I'm just like, as as a freelance journalist, I gotta say, the writing behind that is very flawed. The quotes they use from Whitey are terrible. Like, one of the quotes was like, we played four games this season. I'm like, why would you use that as a quote? <laughs> that's, that's not, not even a, a good quote. quote. That's just, that's that's a just fact. background info. Yeah. For quotes, you want to do something that conveys somebody's emotion. I'm just oh saying, come on. God. Okay. Whatever. I'm done talking about that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Anyway, I'm bored talking about that. Do you want to talk more about the actual father-son basketball game? So how weird was it that after halftime, I guess it was halftime. We'll say it's halftime, sure. Sports term, yeah. (laughs) I don't know my sports terms at all, but whatever. (laughs) Um, They changed the score to 0-0 just because the dads were falling so far behind. Did you catch that? Really? I missed that. Yeah, they changed the score zero to zero, and they say the next team that scores a point wins, and that's when Dan makes the shot. Remember? Oh my god! They're all looking. I had to rewind to look at that. Wow. Yep. I missed that detail. That's fascinating. Like, did Dan have something to do with that? So the the score was like thirty to zero or i don't know what the score was yeah i remember nathan says like we're up by 30 i remember him saying that but so they get back and i don't know they just decided to change it to zero zero and they made an announcement i don't think dan was a part of that oh but who knows he could have been because he's evil yes so then dan makes that score and everyone was because i remember thinking wait a minute why is everyone pissed off that he won And how could they win because they were so far behind? Right, yeah. Very strange. I just thought that maybe Dan just got more aggressive during the second half of the game. (laughs) I completely missed that detail. That's fascinating now. Yeah. Another thing that happens during the game, except it doesn't actually happen during the game, it's during the deleted scenes. Fun, fun. Karen and Zeb are working the concessions booth. Which, I enjoyed that scene. It was really cute. I really enjoyed that scene, too. And I feel like it built on what was already established when Deb went into the cafe to speak with Karen. And remember, Karen was... Was that the last episode or was that the episode before? It was the last episode. It was the last episode. Okay. Last episode was Deb's first one, so yeah. And they finally get to speak in the cafe. And they really had a good conversation. So I think this scene at the concession stand really built on that previous scene. Yeah, definitely. I also like how Karen pointed out how Keith was always there for her, like throughout Lucas's childhood and whatnot. And then that's what Deb says. Oh, I love Keith. I wish we saw more of him. So I do like that sort of establishes the fact that Keith is still a part of their life. He's just not as close as he is to Karen and Lucas. So I I feel like that was just like a nice, subtle touch. Because I'm sure, like, you know, Keith goes there for, like, Thanksgiving, stuff like that. I'm pretty sure, like, there's holidays where he stops by at the very least. Also at the game, right after halftime, I found that scene interesting when Lucas and Haley speak really quickly. (laughs) Like, literally, as he's about to start playing again. And he admits to her that he doesn't believe that there's nothing else going on with Nathan. Because earlier, we find out, well, we don't find out, but Lucas finds out that Haley is tutoring Nathan. For the entire episode, Lucas is questioning Haley about her relationship, quote unquote, with Nathan. 
and he doesn't believe her. And he makes that clear multiple times. And now in this scene at the basketball game, he says, nice bracelet. Referencing the bracelet from the Cracker Jack box. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any more Cracker Jack trivia, Jeremy? (laughs) Not yet. Wait until at least episode 10. <laughs> please sponsor us. I'm kidding, I have no please idea. Please sponsor oh, us, Blair. Cracker Jack, please. <laughs> so, this whole conflict between um, Lucas and Haley, the way it starts off, I just, I, I just hate it. I consider it a false conflict because, and w- what a false conflict is in a story, is when two characters are in a conflict where it could be solved if the two of them just talk to each other. Yeah. So, I just don't think this conflict is very interesting. I do not like it. It is boring to me. Thankfully, it gets um, settled right away. How, like, Haley says, like, oh, I'm doing this for you. But then Lucas is still mad about it. And she she wasn't lying. Like, she was telling the truth, and he just won't take that for what it is. It's very weird. So, I just, I wasn't a fan of this entire conflict. I feel like season one of One Trio has a lot of issues like this. Where characters have these little conflicts that could be solved if the two of them just talk to each other. That's why season one is very flawed. They're trying to build a lot in season one. And I'm really starting to realize that and appreciate it more. The amount of different relationships, I think, probably bog them down a little bit. So there's a lot of really short scenes that maybe don't, I don't know, fit together. Yeah, you're right. Season one's great. I'm not trying to like you to know, talk like completely down on it. There's a lot of great. Um, I don't feel like we've quite have gotten there yet, but we will soon. Anyway, let's talk a little bit about Nathan Haley's tutoring scenes, though. So again, I'm going to give you some useless pop culture fun facts. So I'm not giving you Cracker Jack facts. I am giving you very interesting pop culture fun facts. At <laughs> what least about for me. Vegas. There, Vegas is not in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we will get to him now trust me what episode did i say it was at nine ten i don't remember i don't remember i'm keeping i'm keeping an eye out for him now because that's my boyfriend what can i say anyhow <laughs> so anyway Haley tells nathan that if he gets anything less than 81 on his test she is going to be staying home and watching the office and when i first watched this i was like you know the office whatever and then i was thinking like Oh, well, no, she's not talking about the American office, which didn't premiere until 2005. She was talking about the British version, starring Ricky Gervais. Oh, snap! You caught yeah, that! So- <laughs> wow, I didn't even think of that! Yeah, because this um, this premiered in 2003, obviously, which was two years before the American office came out. So I'm like, wow, Haley was watching British TV shows. I don't know, I was really interested in that. But also, I want to know... She was going to stay home and watch The Office. There weren't many episodes of The Office for her to watch at the time. Okay, because for one thing, in 2003, during this time, October 21st, 2003, again, my 13th birthday. Anyway, at that time, only two series of The Office have aired. Those are only six episodes per series, and they're only a half hour each. Haley could have watched all 12 of those episodes in six hours. (laughs) Because season three only consisted of two episodes, and they didn't air until December of 2003. So there was no episodes of The Office for her to watch that were currently on TV. She was ahead of her time because people binge The Office to this day. The American Office, (laughs) and there's plenty of episodes, trust me. (laughs) 
<laughs> There's like 180 oh something God, or whatever. There's only 14 episodes of the British office. Yeah, I knew it was a lot shorter. Yeah, I'm just saying. And at that time, only the first series was out on DVD, which again, is something she could have watched in three hours. So I'm just saying, she would not have been too busy watching The Office. Wow, you just so. unpacked a lot, Jeremy. Yes, this this is the most important thing I feel like we could have unpacked in, in this episode. <laughs> All I'm saying, Haley, is that you could not have been too busy watching The Office. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, let's move on to some more important things. Like No, that's more important. I'm just kidding. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> let's move on to more important things. Such as Peyton's grief. <laughs> okay, wow. All right. Like, this is a. <laughs> We're taking a dark turn now. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I think this storyline is a highlight of this episode. I especially like the scenes when she's speaking with Whitey at the graveyard and on the bridge. There might have even been another one, but those are the two that, that stood out to me. And the locker room. But yeah, the locker room, she just sort of walks in and says, like, hey, let's go somewhere. Yeah, so I really love the scenes. Just all of the scenes with Whitey. Yeah. Because it just really connected the grief that, you know, Whitey has is going through with his wife and Peyton is going through with her mom. I find it interesting that they paired these two characters together because they're go- both going through something similar and Peyton doesn't know how to deal She's still grappling with it. It's seven years later, and she really doesn't know how to manage these feelings. And her dad, she admits that her dad's never around in this episode. Which is weird to me. Like, I feel like that's something that we can talk about in another episode, about how her dad is very much not around. Yeah. Not only for, like, legal reasons, the fact that he's just not there, but just for storyline reasons. And I feel like he's always, um, in future episodes at least, I feel like her dad is held up on a pedestal, like he's this great guy. But I don't think he's that great, yeah. honestly. Not if he's abandoning his daughter, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. Your 16-year-old daughter. Get a load on the anniversary of mm-hmm. his wife and her mother's death. And she just gets an email. Yeah, like, mm. So there's a lot of mystery behind that right now. Yeah, definitely. But back to what you, what we were saying about um, Whitey and Peyton, though. I really liked how the two of them talked. But it's not like, yeah, Peyton got some comfort from talking to Whitey, but she didn't get any concrete answers from him either. She didn't get, like, answers that said, like, oh, this, this is going to get better. Everything's going to be fine. She didn't get those answers from him. Because I feel like there's no way you can get those answers. Yeah. When you're grieving and when you're in, a, when you're in that deep of a funk. You're never going to have the answers to everything. And I I think that's what Whitey admits. He actually says to her, I had written this down, Peyton, it's hard to lose somebody. I spent a lot of time searching for reasons, for answers, but you can't find what's not there. It just happened. And I, I think he serves an important role because he is comforting her, like you said. And he... Mm-hmm. He's telling her that you're not really going to find answers. It's kind of just something that you have to go through. Yeah. One of the scenes, they're on the bridge talking. And I just love that because the One Tree Hill Bridge, you rarely get to see it in the series. Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. You really don't see them walk across the bridge that much. And Mm -hmm. it was cool to see it close up. I've actually been on the bridge before. I have a bunch of photos that I can share with all of you. But Ooh, yes, yes, very exciting. Um, all different angles. So it, honestly, when you go to Wilmington, 
If any of you ever go, that's one of the coolest things to see, is the bridge. Aww. To see it from a distance and to walk or drive over it. One day I'll get to go. Yes, one day. All right, so Jeremy, as I was talking and explaining that scene, I realized that I really, it had nothing to do with anything, but <laughs> I wanted to talk about it anyway because I love the bridge and yes. <laughs> I, I support this. I, it was a great story, so it was worth it. <laughs> sometimes I'm going to go off on tangents, so. And that is great. And it's That's okay what, sometimes. That is what I love about you. <laughs> So, what did you think about Peyton's arc where she was running through red lights? Because her mom went through one red light, and she died just for making one mistake, and then Peyton, Peyton says she goes through them all the time, and yet nothing happens to her. What did you think about that whole storyline? It's really dramatic, what she chooses to do, and obviously really dangerous. Yeah. It's definitely a storyline that I've never seen. I've, I've never seen anything like that before. If that's how someone would deal with their grief. But it makes sense because that's what happened with her mom. And she's she's almost trying to test fate. Like, what's going to happen if I do this? Yeah. Is she wanting to hurt herself? Like, that's a little concerning to me. And I don't think I really thought about it that deeply before. But does she really want to hurt herself? I started to think about that, too, actually. And I was actually looking into the um, statistics behind um, teen suicides if they lost a parent. And in the U.S., there's not very many statistics. There are high instances of teen suicides if your parent also died of suicide. Yeah. But Peyton's mom obviously didn't die from suicide. But apparently there was a study in Scandinavia, which Scandinavia isn't really like a good... um. It's not a good gauge for the United States because Scandinavia has uh, better access to healthcare and social services. So it's so what I'm saying is that like that study isn't even representative of the entire world. So just a disclaimer. So I'm pretty sure the statistics are even worse in the United States where there isn't free healthcare or anything like that. But the researchers there they found that kids who lost a parent before the age of 18 are twice as likely to commit suicide over the course of 40 years. Oh wow. It just makes you think, like, Caitlin and I, like, we have not, we have both of our parents, so it just makes you think about, like, how that impacts you later on in life, you know? At the end of the day, I feel like she's just really hurt by all of this, too. And she tries to speak out against it. She, she, um, she yells at Brooke. And I don't really like Brooke's response to the whole thing, either, because I feel like if Brooke really is Peyton's best friend, I feel like she would have to- talked to Peyton and said, like, what's going on? Realize, like, hey, you're out of character mm-hmm. here. But I think this explains a lot, like, Peyton's behavior explains her kind of tough exterior that she's presented so far in the series. Mm -hmm. This, you know, past of hers, her grief, her dad not being there, explains a lot about this character. Oh, totally. And, you know, Nathan's not even there for her either. Like, even Nathan's trying to get back with her. He comes, he comes up to her and says, like, hey, like, he says, hey, Peyton, I want to get back together, blah, blah, blah. And then Peyton's like, I actually have a lot going on right now. And then that's what Nathan says, yeah, me too. And then he goes on talking about himself. He's always very, he's very self-centered. And yeah, he, he walks up to her and he's like, you're not still mad, are you? Or something along those lines. It's just like he doesn't even yeah. have concern about her, but he just doesn't want her to be mad at him. Yeah. Did you see Peyton's face, though, when Nathan started talking about himself? No, what did it look like? 
Oh my god, it was so, so telling. Like, um, Peyton has, like, this, like, look on her face. She's like, I'm actually going through a lot right now. So you can see her. She's starting to open up to Nathan. You know, giving yeah. Nathan the benefit of the doubt. Like, okay, maybe Nathan will be there for me. But then that's then Nathan starts to say, yeah, me too. My dad is always railing on me. And she has this, like, look on her face where she's like, really? Come on. Like, her facial expression changes. Good point. Now, what if he had said to her, what's going on? Just asked her a what she was dealing with. Maybe she would have looked at him a little bit differently. But no, he just started to talk about himself, so. Yeah, definitely. He wasn't there for her at that point in time. Also, I feel like this is the first episode where Peyton is quote-unquote single. She's not with Nathan. And I feel like the previous four episodes, she was able to essentially, like, bury all of her, all of her feelings. So, you know, who knows? Like, she may have been, like, wanting to blow up for a while now. But she was with Nathan and she had something else to be angry about. Which was Nathan, because Nathan is a jackass, so, you know, if she wanted to be angry, she could always, like, take her anger out on Nathan. Now she doesn't even have Nathan to take her anger out on anymore, so now she's just stuck with her feelings. And her artwork. And it's really sad. Her artwork as well, and that's where we see that people always leave at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Oh, such an iconic piece of art. Yeah, it is. So, one thing that I feel like I was, I don't want to say I was confused about it, but, like, one thing I wondered is, um... What led Peyton to realize that she shouldn't be doing this um, destructive behavior? Because at the end of the episode, you see her, she's going through a green light rather than a red light. So what led her to do that exactly? Was it the fact that she ran a red light and she was almost brushed with the brink of death? And she realized like, okay, wait a minute, I don't want this to happen to me. Because you see her, she's, she's on the brink of tears after it happens. Yeah, I think the close encounter made her realize that what happened to her mom could happen to her. She's not invincible. Yeah. It it was something that could happen to anyone. I think she also makes that realization. Yeah. Her mom was, you know, in the wrong place at the wrong time. But that, that could happen to anyone. Yeah. And that that thought in itself is scary for any for for anyone. But for her in that close encounter, I think it probably brought it into perspective more. Yeah, it almost makes you think, like, maybe she just wanted that sense of fear that her mom probably had during her last moments. True. Because she definitely felt it in that moment. So in a way, I feel like this is a, I feel like this is a good metaphor. I don't even want to say a metaphor. I think it's pretty on the nose. Like, this is self-harm right here. It is. Wow, I never thought of it in that context before. Yeah. But it, it's, it is. It's really sad when you think about, like, Peyton's journey. And I, I feel like this is the first time, ep- not that Peyton wasn't unlikable in the first four episodes, but this is the first time where you really get a sense of who she is and, like, why she is the way she is. She's vulnerable. Mm-hmm. This is the first episode where she's truly vulnerable. And I can't wait to see how, how this grief continues to affect her and how she is changed. I know. I, I love Peyton's evolution. Mm-hmm. All right, well... We sure unpacked a lot. I didn't expect to go there, Jeremy. Yeah. So, do you want to go on a lighter note and talk about some of our top favorite moments? Yes, I do. <laughs> and you know, this is my so, favorite part of the episode, also. So, <laughs> so this is the this is the part of the episode where we talk about our favorite quote, our favorite musical moment, and then we give a score for the episode. So, what was your favorite quotes? I love Lucas's voiceover at the end of the episode. Oh, and that tell us more. That was a literary yes, reference. Yes, it's wasn't a literary it? reference. It's from John Steinbeck's novel *East of Eden*. It seems to me that if you or I must choose between two courses of thought or action, 
We should remember our dying and try so to live that our death brings no pleasure on the world. Wow. And why did that quote resonate with you? I feel like this quote had many connections to what the characters were dealing with. But ultimately, I think it means that you should live in the best way that you can and that is possible so that you are missed by the world and by people. Like the last line says, if you were to die, it would bring no pleasure to the world because you would be missed. It would be a loss. And I can kind of interpret Peyton maybe making that realization a little bit in this episode because she realizes, you know, running through the stoplights, it's not a good thing. She needs to, to live, you know, her life in the best way that she can. And totally. I think Lucas makes that realization too. He is really kind of going through an identity crisis and struggling to figure out who he is and that he, he wants to be kind of the best person that he can be, the best basketball player he can be as well. Aww. I don't know. Do you think that connects? No, I think you about covered it with that quote. And I feel like it definitely ties more into the self-harm narrative we were talking about earlier. Yeah, I think it does. And I didn't even make that connection, like, earlier until we started to talk about the episode. What was your favorite quote? (laughs) Mine is a little bit less heavy. Um, Well, I have a few honorable mentions. Just some funny lines that I thought were interesting. Um, But to go off of, like, what we were saying with Peyton, I like how when Brooke comes to Peyton... And she says, what's with the attitude? And Peyton's like, what's with your life? <laughs> I know it's a very, it's supposed to be a very serious scene, but I don't know. I just thought that was like a funny response. <laughs> I'm going to start saying that to people now. If people say, Jeremy, what's with the attitude? What's with your life? <laughs> Wait, who said which one again? <laughs> so Brooke, Brooke asked Peyton, what's with the attitude? Oh. And then Peyton's like, what's with your <laughs> life? <laughs> I, didn't, I, got, I didn't catch that at all. And that's really funny. <laughs> That's one of the biggest criticisms of season one of One Tree Hill is that the writing is very hokey, and I feel like that's an example of really hokey writing. <laughs> so, I don't know. I just, I just think that line is just so funny. What's with your um, life? An- <laughs> another um, funny line is also from Peyton, where Lucas walks up to Peyton and she says, I've been thinking about you. And she's like, Try a cold shower. <laughs> Which, again, I thought that was funny. That's another quote I'm going to start using as well. That's funny. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I I went a really serious route, didn't I? (laughs) And I'm, like, laughing. You know, I'm just thinking about it. Like, a few weeks ago, like, uh, full transparency, not to get too into it, but I was having, like, a really rough time a few weeks ago, and a friend messaged me and said, just let you know, I'm thinking about you. And now I kind of wish I said, well, try a cold shower. It's like, forget about the fact that you care about me. Try cold shower. But my actual favorite quote is something that Karen said. Um, She tells Lucas, it's just a name, Luke. What you do with it is up to you. And I just thought that was very sweet how she said that. I was thinking about including Karen's too. Yeah, it's like, what's in a name, you know? So let's talk about your favorite musical moment. What did Madonna Wade Reed and Jennifer Pikin do for you this week, Caitlin? So I'm going to give some commentary about some up some songs. I wasn't a huge fan of the songs that were used in this episode, mm-hmm. but I have to say, I mean, 
They played I Don't Want to Be by Gavin DeGraw. Like, that has to be my favorite one, honestly. <laughs> because they're, all the other ones, I wasn't, like, they didn't really do anything for me. Mm-hmm. And I like how they played that when they were playing the basketball game. So that was my reasoning for that song. We've already covered that song in previous episodes, though. So um, I found it interesting that Hard to Find by the American Analog set was also in episode 102, if you knew that. Which one was that? Because one song did sound familiar, and I was like, did we hear this it's before? The, I forget which one it was. It's at the though. very beginning when Haley tells Luke that she's tutoring Nathan. It has like a catchy tune. Oh, I, I know exactly what song you're talking yeah. about. And then Glad to be Alive by Low Flying Owls also plays in 103. I'm not sure what scene that was. But I found it interesting that they played those two songs... In, like, so soon after they were first played. It is a choice, isn't it? It is a choice. Yeah. And they do repeat songs a lot throughout the series. They do. You will hear several. But, yeah, that close between between two episodes, that's weird. Isn't it strange? Yeah. But... So, yeah, my favorite one is I Don't Want to Be by Gavin DeGraw, because I wasn't a huge, <laughs> Easy. huge fan of the rest of the songs. But Hard to Find was okay by American Analog okay. Set. What about you? What was your favorite musical moment? My favorite was the Coda, Many Rivers to Cross by Jimmy Cliff, which I gotta say, they secured an artist of color. I was like, okay. True. <laughs> which, like, I wanna, I wanna start keeping track of that now. Like, how many times do they actually get musicians of color on this show? I feel like every time I think of One Tree Hill, I always think about, you know, white alternative rock boy bands. Yeah. And now, I don't know, I feel like that's something we should, like, try to think more about, too. Yeah, we should think about that. So. And keep track yeah, of it. so that's something I'm going to challenge myself, too. But I really did like that song, though. Um, the lyric, many rivers to cross, and it's only my will that keeps me alive. Again, complete covers exactly what Peyton's going through. And it's an old song, too. So I, Yeah, I think it was, like, from 1969 I or something it was, like that. Yeah, 1970, around that time frame. So yeah. I, that's what I found interesting, because most of the songs, as I'm looking them up, they're from, like, early 2000s. Yeah, exactly. Like, they're really it's, current songs. But, like you said, I wasn't too big of a fan of a lot of the music in this episode, but that song did stand out to me. Just like many of the Coda songs do for the show. Yeah, I love the Coda songs. I wasn't, like, a huge fan of that one, so I didn't choose it, but, like I said, I kind of struggled. So, what would be your rating for the episode? So I gave the episode three out of five red lights. I felt like it moved the story along well. There were a lot of different conflicts the characters were dealing with. I feel like it propelled the action forward and developed those characters. But overall, I found the episode was pretty boring to me. It was on par with the first few episodes. Okay. What about you? Well, I'm going to give it a four out of five green lights. Because it is making me want to continue watching the show. So it's a green light. Got <laughs> it. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Caitlin gave it red lights. So she's not going to continue watching the show. She's actually not going to be on the podcast. Oh, thanks anymore. a lot. <laughs> thanks a lot, Jeremy. <laughs> now you make me look like the bad guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> No, it was so funny that, like, you said red lights, and I realized, like, in my notes, like, oh, shit, I have green lights, and uh, I was gonna give it, like, that exact justification, I'm like, oh my god, am I gonna make Caitlyn look bad? 
But then I decided, but then I decided, nah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just no, gonna that's funny. use my justification. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, like you said, um, on par with the previous episodes, um, very on par with 104. 104 was pretty good. I still um, think 104 was a lot better. Yeah, yeah I, I think so too, objectively, but I still feel like, you know. Yeah. I feel like these two episodes are pretty similar. I'm really looking forward to the next two episodes. I have to say, they are some of my favorite episodes of season one. <laughs> the next one, it's it's the episode I always look forward to whenever I start watching season one. I love the next one, so I can't wait for our next conversation. Always and Forever is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at alwaysothpod. You can also email us at alwaysothpod at gmail.com. That's always O-T-H-P-O-D. You can follow Jeremy Rodriguez on Twitter at Rodriguez Jeremy. You can follow Kaylin Illinich on Twitter at Miss I Reads. Outside of following our socials, the easiest way to support us is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. That helps One Tree Hill fans, new and old, find us. Now, if you don't want future episodes of One Tree Hill to be spoiled for you, now is the time to turn this podcast off. Otherwise, stay tuned for the spoiler segment after the music ends. We'll We'll be be seeing seeing ya. ya. Welcome to the spoiler segment of Always and Forever. Once again, if you do not wish to have the series spoiled for you, consider this your final warning. Turn off this podcast now. And spoilers. Yep. (laughs) So, um, Peyton's mom. Moms. Spoiler. Major spoiler. (laughs) The way you said that, it made it sound like she's going to have two lesbian moms. And I'm just saying, that would be really interesting if that happened. I'm like, oh my God, I would love to see Peyton. It would be a lot more interesting than her dad. (laughs) If we're being honest. Yeah, exactly. So we had to find it out in season three that she is adopted, or she was adopted. And we find out her birth mom comes for her. And then that sets a bunch of events in motion. And then she has to lose this mom, too. Peyton is such, like, she's given the most tragic storylines of any of the characters combined. And then some. She really is. Now I think about it, it's almost like, like, why is she always a victim? And I feel like Hillary Burton, I feel like Hillary Burton really wanted, like, Peyton to be stronger. And I feel like a lot of that comes through with her performance. So it's not just the way Peyton is written. Like, I feel like Hillary Burton tries to give Peyton strength, but she's limited so much by what the writers are giving her. She loses two moms. Her dad's never around, at least in the beginning. She has Psycho Derek. What else? Like, it's just endless. (laughs) She has a um, high-risk pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Like, she never catches a break, honestly. Until they leave Tree Hill. Lucas and Peyton. like... And Sawyer. Yeah, I'm so glad that she ends up leaving, honestly, because I'm just like, I don't want anything else to turn up Peyton by the time the series ends. That's what she said in her book, her recent memoir. She didn't want it to be ruined. She wanted to leave, like, it was time to leave because of all that other, you know, stuff that was going on. But she didn't want to ruin the the perfect ending to their story. It wrapped up so nicely. Exactly. She didn't want to ruin that, and if she felt if she stayed more seasons, that the writers could play around and change things. Yeah, it's very sad. I can't wait to read that book. I still have to order my copy. Are you going to read it? Yeah, I want to eventually. I don't know when. You know, I have so much on my reading list right now that I'm trying to like catch up on, but I do want to read it eventually. Um, also, can we talk a little bit about Peyton's dad? 
I feel like he's such a non-character. Like, we don't even address the fact that he completely abandons his daughter for months at a time. And she doesn't have a mother at home. Like, she's literally by herself. She doesn't have any family member with her. Like, you would think that realistically in that situation, she would be staying with a family member, you know? Yeah. I'm just saying, like, does she cook for herself every time? Or does she order a bunch of takeout? There are so many questions I have. She does not have a good support system at all. She fends for herself all the time. Her her house is always unlocked. Like, people just come in and they just come into her bedroom. How creepy is that? <laughs> it really is. And it's kind of touched on in season four. Um, she ends up, like, locking her house. But I feel like that's sort of... I feel like there's a little bit of victim blaming coming into that, if you think about it. Because, like, oh, she wouldn't have gotten attacked if she didn't leave her door unlocked. Yeah. Which I feel like they're indirectly saying a little bit, which is really fucked up. That's a whole nother storyline that we'll have to get to later, but... <laughs> oh, jeez, yes. <laughs> Anyhow. I have to say, when, when she loses Ellie, that scene, it's, like, embedded into my mind, and then I remember the song that plays at the end of that episode, and... Here comes a regular. Yeah. It's so emotional. It's one of the more emotional right. scenes of the, the show, I think. Yeah, like, she just breaks down, cries, yeah. like, with that... She drops the, that face. the she CD drops. box. Yeah. Ugh. But Ellie is not the only parents figure that we lose. We also lose Keith at Dan's hands. I feel like in 105, I started to think about Keith and Dan more than I have in the previous episodes. Really? And their also. relationship. The dynamic between all of the characters. Dan is terrible to pretty much everyone. You know he doesn't have a good relationship with Keith. We also see this connection with Keith and Lucas as a father figure. And it really kind of, it doesn't foreshadow anything, but it makes me think about how special Keith is to Lucas and how awful Dan is. And I just can't help myself from thinking about the school shooting episode. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, and Keith even says that he and Dan never saw eye to eye. And it just made me think about how it's so sad that they go their entire lives never seeing eye to eye. Because before they even have the chance to, Dan kills him. So they never officially get a happy ending, unless you count in the um in the final season when Dan ends up going to heaven with Keith. Oh my god! But- oh my god, I forgot <laughs> about that scene. I haven't thought about it in a while and it gives me chills. That's one of, oh my god, it brings, I'm gonna cry. I'm just gonna cry right now. <laughs> Caitlin's taking a moment. She's, she's taking her headphones off. She's ready. I mean, this is, we're really getting ahead of the- Caitlin came back. She went to the bathroom for 10 minutes and she cried. She got it all out. She is here. <laughs> <laughs> if we're really being honest and I'm getting way ahead of myself right now, that scene- of them going off into heaven together. To me, it's almost like the finale of the show. Like, that, to me, is so... Hmm. Like, I think I cried when I saw that. But but the oh, actual so series yes. finale, I don't know if I actually cried. I like the series I like, finale, I'm not though. saying I don't like the series finale. I'm saying that this scene, like, really... It's giving me chills right now to talk about it. <laughs> It's so emotional. I'm glad you brought that up because I wasn't even thinking about that scene. Yeah, it's really good. But 
I get it. Like, that's them wrapping it up a little bow. Like, Keith forgives Dan. Now the two of them see eye to eye, and I'm glad that the series ends on that. But I'm just saying, it's really a shame that they never saw eye to eye when the two of them were alive. It is. It's just very tragic when you think about it. You know, like, I'm watching, I was watching this episode, and I was starting to get sad. I was like, oh, they never see eye to eye. They never do, and they never will. Not while they're living, at least. It's so emotional. Oh, my God. Yeah. It literally makes me so sad. Getting oh teary-eyed. God. But on a different note, this episode made me think about Deb and what happens to her later on. How she ends up spiraling down into an addiction to painkillers. There are a few moments that happen in 105. Deb makes this big breakfast, and both Dan and Nathan, they don't eat it, they don't touch it. And then later on, Deb gives a drink to Nathan. Nathan takes one little sip, and then he gives it back to her. Like, Deb is not being seen, and she is not being heard. Deb tries to comfort Nathan as well. And again, Nathan's just like, ooh, whatever. And he even tells Peyton later on, he says that, like, my mom keeps trying to hang out with me. So I'm just saying, like, with this type of support system, it's no wonder that Deb completely spirals out of control later on. She's like an outsider in her own home. Yeah. She doesn't really connect to Nathan. Doesn't have much of a relationship with him. And she's trying to build another relationship with Dan again because she's been away for so long. I don't know. They keep arguing. So... Is that possible? It's not looking too promising. Like, they're getting along. And it really does kind of point to her isolation in all this. She's not really seen. Yeah. I just feel bad for her. And I'm glad that Deb ends up becoming such a powerful force to be reckoned with as the series goes on. I just love Deb. I love Barbara Allen Woods. Seriously, I just want to... I just want her to give me a hug and tell me everything's going to be okay. Yeah, she seems really awesome. Oh my god. You know how I said she was on Cameo? Yeah. Okay. Um, you can actually like watch like some of the videos they make for other people. There is one video that she made for somebody else. She's walking around like her pool for five minutes, and she's just telling the person, she's like, Hey, it's a beautiful day out. I just wanted you to I just wanted to take you for a little walk. And then <gasps> she's like, I don't like hearing that you have been down. I know this pandemic has been really rough on everybody, and I understand that I see you, and I hear you, and she just, like, gave, like, That's this really, really sweet. sweet message. And I'm just like, damn. She recorded, like, a five-minute message, just basically telling this person, like, you're gonna be okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. Barbara Allen Woods is $30, friends. <laughs> $30. And Jeremy and I saw Barbara Allen Woods and Paul Johansson on a Wizard World Facebook Live the other day mm-hmm. and they yeah. i don't think i've ever seen them talk together on an any kind of event like that before they really seem to adore each other yeah yeah they just seem to like really get along i mean come on like you know for them to have like such an antagonistic relationship they have to have like good chemistry in real yeah. life in order to be able to do this yeah that's true paul johansson seems like such a nice guy that's what they too. say like even in the season one um the extra features one of the producers or writers said that he's such a nice guy <laughs> to play such this <laughs> terrible person. Aw. Oh, I wonder if Paul Johansson's on cameo. I don't know. <laughs> I don't I'm really pushing this yeah, cameo. <laughs> cameo, please. Please be our sponsor. Thank you. <laughs> so, Caitlin. Yes? This episode had a really great story, don't you think? 
Yes, it really did. Well, don't you also think that every night is another story? Which, it's not like the perfect transition for <laughs> what our next episode will be. Yeah, it really is the perfect transition. Because <laughs> I'm getting really good at these transitions, everybody, don't you think? Anyway, <laughs> next time we will be discussing season one, episode six. Every night is another story. Here is the episode description from our old One Tree Hill DVD sets. Change partners. A fight during an away game culminates in some unexpected groupings. Peyton drives Brooke and Haley home, while Lucas and Nathan are forced into a tentative alliance in the woods. We'll We'll be be seeing seeing ya. ya.